Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And as always, I am so happy to be able to greet my congregation, who is part of our church at the Father's Church in Dallas, and also to say hello and greet our Saints Network family. We are so appreciative of each of you, and we believe that God is uh, mobilizing his people for what is going to be transpiring over this next year. Excuse me. I don't think any of us recognize what is uh, what is going to be manifesting itself through the power of God. I don't think really anyone has been able to properly chart the course of what has transpired over the past couple of years. And one of the things that I know any person who studies the Word recognizes is that when God moves in a unique way, it's in a way that people have not been uh, able to specifically foretell. You may know something's coming. You may know that there are promises that God has given. But the way God moves is an incredible surprise. Think about all the miracles that occurred in the Scripture. And um, the way God finally moved on behalf of his people is uh, astounding. So on the one hand, we have the principles that are outlined in his word, We have responsibilities to pray and to wait upon God and to apply the things we learn in the Word. And God uses that for a partnership that prepares the way for what He then wants to do. And so... It's imperative that we understand what our responsibilities are. And and it must come from a servant's heart. Too many times, and I've been in the I've been in Christianity for 60 years now. So I think I can speak a little bit about what I've seen over those decades. I certainly don't know it all, but I have seen some things. Usually the church gets excited and moves um, in various ways concerning something that they perceive benefits them. You know, and I could go through a litany of things that I've seen movements rise up promising the church for. But I believe that where we're going is... I, a re, is into a realization that the best thing we could ever bring into our lives is to simply serve God. Now, I'm not talking about doing things. I'm not, you know, <clears throat> I've been in pastoral ministry. I know what, well, I'm just serving God. That means you uh, cleaned the sanctuary or you did, you, you, you did a number of uh, checklist things. And that is a service to God. But truly... To service to him individually, purposely, about what his throne is doing. That is a rarity. To where you then can say, I'm a friend of God. I want to be that. He has He has offered that to me. And so we want to revisit today. Some of the things that 
the Lord shared with us on this past Sunday regarding what the Bible says is a a watchman. And I know, as I said on Sunday, that there have been many books written about being a watchman. People get uh, their military paraphernalia on and they have uh, props that they carry that show prophetically, quote unquote, that they're watchmen and they're positioned to see what all the enemy's doing. And, you know, they get all fired up and and um, it, a watchman for them is just being able to say what's wrong or to say things that shock everybody. You know, they give warnings that um, they hope will get the the knees knocking of people who are overwhelmed by the potential devastation of what they're saying. I know, I've been around, I've seen that. But what God is wanting to do in the way of what his scripture says a watchman should be doing is much more intimate and much more of a responsibility before us on behalf of God. On behalf of God. It doesn't focus as much on the enemy as it does on what God wants to do. You know, we we mentioned, and I, I've sent you two outlines. <clears throat> one is Watchman Part 2, and the other one we'll talk about here in a few minutes. It was from a sermon that we presented um, a year ago. I mean, it was uh, it was just shy of a year ago. And I believe that this time of the year speaks of the spiritual year. And so we're entering into something. So we'll talk about that a table prepared outline here in a little while. But um, on your... Watchman Part 2 outline, Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And beholding there is the most prominent term which is translated as watchman in the Old Testament. So, really, God is the ultimate watchman. It doesn't mean he's simply an observer, even though he knows everything. But literally, Yahweh, Jehovah, representing the eternal plan of God, is um, partnering with his eyes, which are, according to the scripture, the seven spirits of God, God's plan meets his ways, and um, in all things, he serves as a watchman, looking at what his tobe purpose is, and looking at how Ra has manifested itself. And this is about, really, God's intent and his purpose what he created this world to be and what he created you and me to be. It's not, it's not just that God keeps a lookout or that he's, uh, he's not missing anything. It has more to do with his ways, his plan, and how he wants to bring restoration. <coughs> And I think that that is uh, an essential thing for us to recognize in uh, in this entire discussion. Because watchmen aren't just people who are aware of things or have a keen eye to be able to see where the enemy's trying to sneak in, even though that is an essential part of the ancient world. It has more to do with aligning ourselves to the intercessory responsibilities 
of the heart of God and what he wants to accomplish. And so I see that this is really a progression of development. I think that we've learned the principle of being faithful and being promoted, being faithful in the small things, ruler over many. We've seen the principle of the Peretz and the Parats standing in the gap, making up the hedge so that Parats breakthrough can occur. We've seen the principle of Moses using the rod to strike the rock. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Moses being told to speak to the rock. And we, we've seen <coughs> these principles before. And they're throughout the scripture. And I, I believe that as God promotes people, it's always on that same frame of development. You know, we've, we've been trying over the years as intercessors to, to be watchful. We've been, through the power of God's Spirit, guiding us into His truth. We've been being taught rudimentary understandings of the Word of God and even the deeper understandings of the Word of God. And, you know, again, I, I just want to say, this is nothing about me, but um, whenever you say the deeper things of the Word, there, there are people in Christianity who take umbrage with that. And because they think they've read the Word all their life, or they've, um, they've studied, and they've got degrees from Berean or some other place, and those are noble things. But they think that that automatically qualifies them as being a champion of the deeper things of the Word of God. Now, let me tell you, I grew up with the Word. I studied the Word. I memorized verses every week, just as every good little Christian church-going kid did. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary for the purpose of studying the Word. And I thought, not being prideful, but I thought because of that, I knew what the Word of God said. And I really, over the past years and continuingly, am being surprised by the way the Spirit breathes through this living Word and shows things in the Word that I've never seen before. You know, most of the church <clears throat> bases their sermon sermonizing on making it quick, making it appealing, making it entertaining, driving for a point, to some degree perhaps um, making the people feel like they're accomplishing something or feeling good. Those, those are all noble things. But the deeper things of the Word, which will be an eternal thing, are continuing to be revealed. The spirit of truth keeps guiding us into the things that are the truths of the Lord. And truth is discovering the meaning of the word, something that is was hidden but is not hidden anymore. And it's not, according to society, <clears throat> whatever you think should be, that's your truth. Well, there is no truth. You know, when I was in school... You know, if I just wrote down whatever I thought, it may be right or wrong. And the teacher didn't say, well, you know, that's your answer. You got 100. That doesn't, that doesn't work in life. It just doesn't. You try to tell that to your parents when, when, you're, when you were growing up. Okay, I want you to take out the garbage. Did you take out the garbage? Well, yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I did. According to whatever your definition is, maybe you threw a cup into the trash can and you thought that was taking out the garbage. That was your that was your understanding. And so your parents said, okay, that's great. Did that ever happen in anyone's houses? No. You know, there it's not a subjective thing. The truth of God is something that is his 
privilege of continually revealing to us. And it does not contradict with what he has already shown, what he has shown. Now, it may contradict with tradition. It may contradict with uh, the deductions that men and women have had over the years. But it will never contradict his word. And so I think that this measure of watchmen is something that God has been giving us pieces of assignment to do and to do faithfully, like stand on the wall and be faithful in prayer. And if you sense something that is a warning, you give it. Um, You know, every military (coughs) puts uh, their their those that are privates or those who are in the uh, in the entry level ranking you get yeoman duty you get you get grunt work <laughs> and you prove yourself there and being assigned a post is not the most glamorous of things it's an important thing but you have like pawns on a chessboard people who are proving their faithfulness and their their uh, their steadfastness and from there then they gain promotion if they do it faithfully and i think that's one of the things that's happening right now god is taking his people his saints into a a heightened measure of partnering with him pertaining to his ways, pertaining to his plan, pertaining to the Tob and the Ra, and the watchmen are being given greater authority and greater privilege to serve God in ways in which we have not to this point. Part of that is according to the demands of the time we're in. Part of that is based upon whether we have been faithful and God looks at that and he promotes. So we looked at some of the ways that the watchman term, Sapa, was used uh, throughout the Old Testament and they're listed there for you. But you can see that it it speaks about having a... Um, uh, a key role in guarding over treasures and wealth in the kingdom. It is a, is a key role in ministering as a in a priestly way on behalf of the most uh, the holiest of things in God's kingdom. You know the the overlay of a of a the ark of the covenant or a, a, the overlay of the top of a of a pillar, uh, the overlay of of uh, the carpet of the floor where God has given you dominion, you know the the overlay of the blessing from as honey coming from the honeycomb. Uh, we talked about that, but this this is a heightened measure where you're not as important as it is on a uh, fundant, fundamental level, where you're not just up on the wall watching. Now you're being introduced into a a more intimate assignment where you are entrusted with the treasures of the kingdom. That's watchman too, and that's the way this word is is used throughout the Old Testament. And so and particularly it's it's a privilege, it's a heightened measure of responsibility on behalf of God. This is wonderful. You talk about what it means to be an heir and a joint heir with Christ, where we're serving the Father as an anointed son. You know, this is this is part of that. And um, it is truly an honor. So I wanted for us to go back and, and look at specifically <clears throat> how some of these things flowed. We... we we had such a, a powerful visitation of the presence of the Lord this past Sunday, and then I 
really kind of drop this bomb, this plate full of meat in front of people, and we covered just a, a cursory understanding of this, and we didn't really delve deeply into it. So today we want to go a little bit deeper just to see what does this mean for you and for me in our, um, in our daily walk of an assignment with God. So Habakkuk 2, verse 1. And remember, Habakkuk was a, a unique individual. He was a seer. The Bible clearly says that. Out of all of the Old Testament, outside of the Psalms, he is the only one who spoke about the Selah, which is crucial in taking the promise of God through the Selah into the fulfillment of what God has promised. And so that is notable, and so we're noting it. So verse 1 of Habakkuk 2 says, I will stand. That's the first part. This is the five dimensions of this. I will stand. Perhaps this speaks of the pastoral office where you are praying diversities of tongues, where you are seeing to it that the giftings, the assignments that God has given, the governments are functioning properly and you're fulfilling your role and partnering with others as they fulfill theirs. And perhaps you are watching as the Spirit moves. You're, you're willing to adapt and to move with the Spirit. I will stand. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to go AWOL. I'm not going to go over the wall and take off. That's a tendency. And again, perhaps this is equated with standing in the gap. You are going to have warfare there because the enemy does not want you in that gap. He's used to infiltrating and moving freely through there. So you're standing there. You're standing there. I will stand. And Ahmad is to take responsibility and to do your very best to fulfill whatever that entails. Secondly, <clears throat> you're doing that upon your watch. Now, this is a, a term that has more to do with the character of the person who is on watch than the actual watch itself or the actual place of assignment. And this term from Samar means to take responsibility to be seasoned, to be um, akin to a residue or a remnant to where you have benefited and grown and gained maturity, gained savvy, as it were. Um, you've not just been filling time, you've been paying attention, and you have been faithful, and those experiences have brought merit to you. And so it's very important to have someone that is trustworthy and who has not just fallen off the apple cart, you know? I mean, you, you have been there. You've stood in the gap. You are a veteran. And when challenges come, you don't crater and go running away or calling out for somebody else to come and help you. I mean, you, you are standing there. And that's one of the notable things about David's mighty men. That upper tier of mighty men, I mean, you look at them. They, they were noted as those who <clears throat> stood and destroyed 800, 1,000 enemy soldiers by themselves. There's merit in that. Now, it's, it's not just, you know, I'm, I don't want to mess with anybody else. I don't like people. Even though, I mean, you have to have a modicum of that in this way. Um, you've got to be willing to stand. You've got to be willing to do your job. Have you ever worked with somebody who has giftings, but they can't do anything by themselves? 
I mean, you have somebody that says, yeah, I'll take this task, but their, their, their opinion of that is, well, I'm going to do it, but you better be here at every step to help me. I mean, why would you entrust something to somebody? It's easier to do it on your own than to give them an assignment and you have to do their work for them. And if you're not there, they don't know what they're going to do. And you, you, then you're always wondering, are they doing it? I should be getting some amens from some pastors. You got to be willing to stand. It's not that you're unwilling to work with others. It's not that you are prideful and you don't, you just don't trust somebody else. But you, you've got to know what God has assigned you to do, and you've got to do that. You can't just shift and change just because, you know, something new's come along. Well, I used to do this. God gave it to me. I thought that's what he wanted. But now everybody else is doing this, so I'm going to do this. Who would assign anybody authority if that was their mindset? You know, it, it's just the best ability. I mean, again, this is arguable. This is just the saying is availability. And I would add to it dependability. You give somebody a task, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to give it a second thought because you know them and you know that it's going to be what needs to be done. And and you also look out over the field and if there's something lacking, you help out. You don't meddle. You don't tell, you don't know it all. But you fill in the gap, and then you don't look for somebody to say, oh, look how great you are. Wow. If you're, if you're there and you need somebody to keep putting you on, uh, you know, are you, are you a pillar or are you a pedestal? Which are you? So you stand, you have a commitment, and then you prove yourself worthy. And worthy in the New Testament is not a prideful term. It is that you have been willing to bear up. You've been willing to support the weight that's been given to you, axios. And that's what a worthiness is. We studied that in so many ways in the New Testament, particularly in communion, when it says if you're, you, you've got to have a worthiness. And, you know, it's like... Um, the, the Saturday night skit, live skit, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Well, none of us are worthy in that sense before the Lord. There's only one found worthy. But that one that's found worthy is wanting you to buck up and do what you're asked to do from him. Will you carry your weight that he has given you? Now, that burden is easy. Yoke is easy. The burden is light. But it's what, if you look at it, it's what you've been anointed to do. And it's the work of the ministry. It's not by might or by power, but by his spirit. But yet, you've got to stand in, you've got to stand in the gap, make up the hedge. God looks for that. And, and so, these first two are important. And I believe that this sets the stage for what comes next. This is entry level. Perhaps if the first Ahmad is pastor, and the second, you know, again, when you start trying, there's obviously a fivefold dimension here, which is the way God speaks. It's the way God thinks. But so often when the five are there, you can, I don't want to say debate, <clears throat> but you can discuss which aspect fits with either the evangelist, the teacher, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor. The pastor is often the, the easiest to deduce, just like we did, because the pastor is going to take a stand, and the pastor is going to take a measure of responsibility and not run away as a hireling. Um, but the second where you've learned something, I guess that should be the teacher. I guess that should be... You know, you've observed, you've learned, you've taken note, you've grown, you've line upon lined it, you've you've been there, but then you come, you will set me upon the tower. Now, this is a mound, it's an observation point, perhaps it's a high place. Uh, there could be uh, something that is erected there. But 
it's where you are being positioned to make some form of a proclamation on behalf of your assignment. Prophet would stand there. And I will watch to see what he will say to me. So you do all these first three things. You accept your assignment. You're faithful. You learn. And you remember and apply what you've learned. And then you are positioned for a specific moment of declaration. And then comes the watch that authority, that responsibility to represent. The first three come first. <laughs> first. Of course, the first three would come first. The first three are necessary. And then God begins to entrust you with a heightened measure of a watchman capability. You're entrusted with a greater degree of responsibility and assignment. And um, I will watch what God is going to say to me. What God is going to say to me. Not what you're scanning the field and saying, what is that? Can I look? What is, what is that? Let me check on the internet, see what all the prophets are saying. Oh, let, let's, let's go here, go there. Oh, yeah, they're saying this, so I can say this too. No. Who are you watching for? what God will say to this seasoned person who has been faithful and who has been positioned by God to make a declaration. It's what God will reveal. It's what God is looking to you as an intercessor. Everything begins with a voice. God searches for someone who will pagah, who will come into that divinely assigned moment and will be ready to partner with him. And then, what I will answer, when I'm reproved, when I'm answered. Now, maybe the set me upon the tower is evangelist. Maybe the next one is to gain, glean prophetically. Um, arguably, these things all flow together. I mean, you think about something, which, which did you think first when you made that deduction? Well, it's all flowing together, but it's all there. And what I will answer when I am reproved, what does that mean? Well, the answer is shub. That's what needs to go in 180. This is the Old Testament dimension of the New Testament metanoia, which is repent. Some people say, I did a 360. Well, you don't want to do a 360 here. That's what a lot of that's what <laughs> that's what a lot of revival meetings are. Come up to the altar and repent. Well, I came up there, bless God, and I did a 360. I repented. Well, if you do a 360, that means you're just do, you're, you've done a spin. It's been good to watch. But you're doing the same thing you were. You gotta do a 180. You've got to turn from the wicked way. You've got to turn from the way that's not accomplishing what God wants and go in the way he should. And what is reprove? It doesn't mean what we would think reprove means. It doesn't mean, you know, oh, okay, I've been disciplined. This is a legal decree, a, a, a binding declaration, and it is... You know, in some lexicons it says it's an argument. You're not necessarily in a courtroom here. In fact, it's you delivering a word on that watchtower, on that place that you've been assigned to guard over what God is doing. He has just spoken to you, and now you are declaring what is tobe, what where where it's been wrong in the spirit realm you are declaring what god wants to do and you spell it out to the degree that he gives you the directive i think that's incredible and i think it's not your opinion it's not your laundry list it's on behalf of god and 
you know, God doesn't necessarily give you these. You're 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 standing every day, but you're not going to make these kinds of declarations every day. You should remember what you said and, and hold on to it. And as Habakkuk said in his book. You write the vision, make it plain so that people can run with it. Wait on it. It will come. And part of that ability to display maturity is patience. That's the first sign of an apostolic work. Wait on it. And that's so important. How often would God give you one of these assignments? Well, who's to say? But for for a declaration. But you are positioned where God has called you to serve. You have been given a unique set of of anointings and abilities. You gotta you gotta be faithful in that. You gotta listen to what God is saying, which takes us to the next passage that we referenced, Psalm five. Verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Jehovah. It's about what God is wanting to do. Consider my meditation. Now, we could preach on this one because meditation and murmur are the same term. When you are engaged in your role before God that he's giving you, and when you are confronting Ra, when darkness is on the earth and gross darkness the people, you got to make sure that you're meditating and not murmuring. You can use this term for either. And God is watching. The New Testament says that the people in the wilderness were destroyed because of murmuring. The very destroyer that was supposed to be addressed by the murmuring causes, caused the people to be destroyed. Instead of being an overcomer, you were overcome. This is what happened so many times in the scripture. It it happened with Saul, King Saul, where he was anointed. And then finally, God caused Samuel to anoint David. And immediately following that, the very enemy influences that should have been defeated... Uh, by Saul, if he was walking with God, began to come against Saul. And what he had to do was he brought David, who was then anointed, to play and the minister to the Lord on instruments. And Saul was relieved. But that that's kind of like, oh, well, I, I could go down a rabbit trail here. But we've got to be very careful that we don't engage in murmuring. And it's it's easy to do. We've got to discipline our expressions within ourselves. We've got to discipline how we process as you're responsible before God in regard to what he wants to do regarding his tobe and in addressing the raw. You know, we've studied about this, but I think that Moses was brought to, obviously, a point of promotion the second time at the rock. The first time at the rock, he was commanded to strike the rock with the rod. Rod represents authority and your responsibility. He was faithful with that. The second time at the rock, God said, you speak to the rock. You declare 
you make what I'm saying from the right hand of my throne, you say that. And instead, he murmured at the people. He told them what for. Was what he saying true? Yes, it was. But instead of doing what God said, he murmured and he was kept from going into the land. And so, um, God, I think, is really transitioning us now from we'll still have the rod. We still have the rod. Moses had the rod, obviously. But there's a, there's a declarative way on the battlefield that God is entrusting us with. Now, what's it say next? Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. This is just, look, I'm, I'm calling out to you, for unto you will I pray, palal. Unto you will I pray. Now, we've taught extensively about palal and how this is what God wanted in the temple. It's what God talked about with Solomon, that and supplication. But you can't really have palal unless you're engaged in supplication. And, and that is a partnership with God on behalf of what he wants to do. And, and in the New Testament, we carried it over to see that when you are really engaged in supplication, then God gives you prosuke understandings, and then you can begin to proclaim them either in a an aiteo way, A-I-T-E-O, which then forms our divine petitions, and that's the progression. You, you, you have to recognize that biblical progression. Now, God hears the prayers of people, but this type of authority and this kind of representing God is granted to the faithful who have an understanding of what his word says about these declensions of the development of prayer and how you flow through them. It's not just because you have a prophetic gift and you know how to prophesy. You know, there, is a, there are examples of that in the Scripture, and it usually is not a very good example. It's because you have submitted yourself to God, and what you're saying is from Him, not from your gifting, but through your gifting from him. So unto you will I palau. That's, and again, we've studied this extensively. Go back through the archives and find it. Um, this is, this type of word, this word was what motivated the miraculous that through, that when there were great miracles that happened through prophets and through those that were following the Lord, it, it was through this term in the Old Testament. And we, we must recognize that, again, where is this in the flow pattern? <laughs> Just as the, the passage before, it's... It's after you've shown yourself to be faithful. So then, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer. This is Arak. This is to put things in order. This is to, um, to have things laid out. And it's the word that is used to describe the preparing of a table. So I will direct what you're wanting to put forward in the presence of this enemy, and I will look up. Sapa, there's our watch word. It's at the end of this. It's at the end. So let's look at what I referenced, and this is this other outline that's there just for your perusal. Isaiah 21, 5, 6. Prepare the table. This is a rock. 
And that preparation, if you look at it, is to set an order. It was used to describe prophetic obedience, personal identity, particularly the showbread, the preparing of a, a, a cover to, to guard over what God has given, Rahab and the spies, to present a case, to promise um, what, and to engage in what the covenant is, to, to deal with prosperity, to deal with the plans of the heart, to deal with uh, uh, legal strategic maneuvers and defense. It was used in military means for uh, the positioning of the military, the ranks of the army. It was used to describe the uh, placement and the organization of weapons, and it, it used to describe being ready for battle. So all of these things are really governmental assignments. Now, um, so you watch. David said God prepared a table before him in the presence of his enemies. And remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what the enemies were, and it really is those that are coming against the assignment of God. It's from that root, Sarah. So I'm going to, as I prepared the table, I'm going to, as I have directed my prayer, those are two, a rock, you can see it there on the sheet, meditate on this. Um, I'm going to watch, there's Sapah, in the watchtower. And this is a derivative of Sapah where you are fellowshipping with God, you are hearing what he's saying, you are preparing what your assignment is going to be. So eat, drink, arise, princes, be supplied at that table. Anoint the shield. This is interesting because um, it's a study in itself. Shields back then on the battlefield were usually flammable. And so the anointing of the shield involved two things. One, you had to keep your shield oiled so that it did not become brittle, so that it did not become, um, begin to disintegrate. Um, oil is our anointing. You've got to stay in the anointing of God. Oil is our commune with the Father. You've got to stay in that commune. You know, David said in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. And your head, it really, it, it's more about you remembering and staying in line with God and what he's called you to be and to do. So you anoint that. And there is an empowerment with it, but it has more to do with you being supple before God. They also would put their shields before battle in water if they could, because then that would um, help to defray fiery arrows. Um, if, if a fiery dart was sent into a shield that was brittle and dry, that soldier's going to be carrying a flaming shield. Now, that's fine if it's the fire of the Lord, but if it's the fire of the enemy, you don't want it. And again, this is an extended study. Evil Rhema. If, if the enemy will look for a way that he can get you murmuring instead of meditating, he will look for a way for you to take offense and then let that foment. He will look for a way for you to be drawn down because of some accurate reminder or something that has been um, wicked. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe you were wronged. And he'll want to bring that up. Maybe you were overlooked. Maybe you're not finding the, the notoriety you thought you should have. And you got to stay oiled up. And you got to let the water of the word and the water of his spirit cause you to be invulnerable. It's why it's a shield of faith. You get these things from the right hand of the throne. And if you're not spending time there, and if you're, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing there, you're susceptible. So anoint the shield. For thus has the Lord spoken unto me, Go set a watchman, and let him declare 
what he sees. Here again, the watchman is at the end of all this. You know, Elijah was another one that was going to be promoted. But there at that time, what he did was murmur. What he did was complain. What he did was tell God about how horrible it's been for him and how he, you know, just take me away. This is a really unique season. We're at that moment. God's been saying transition. And now we're being positioned. The position of the transition. Last one. We're almost out of time. Isaiah 52, 7 and 8. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, God reigns. The watchman shall lift up the voice. With the voice together they shall sing. They shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Wow. How great is that? God has been taking us on the mountains, the high places, to share the good news, to share the tobe, to share the word across the nations. Notice that happens first. And then, then, the watchmen are asked to lift up the voice regarding the tobe of the Lord, regarding his treasures, regarding his military advancements, regarding whatever it is that God is speaking. Do you see this? Where are you right now? This is about you before the Lord. Are you ready for God to use you in this way? Maybe this is a checklist. Maybe this is an awakening. Maybe this is a reminder. Are you negligent or failing in any of these ways? Go before the Lord and let him direct you. Father, I speak blessing over these saints, over these watchmen. Help us to honor you and to serve you faithfully in this, in this assignment that is crucial for these days. I speak blessing. I speak health. I speak life over all of your people. And lead us, and let us be quick to hear, and let us be willing to obey. Thank you for this, Father. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've got an assignment here. You need to be looking over these scriptures, and you need to be praying over them. Uh, anoint the shield. Be ready. Thanks for joining Till next time, God bless and goodbye.